ask you once again to turn to the Old Testament, to the book of Exodus. And we've made it to chapter 33. Exodus is a journey of redemption. Last time that we were in this wonderful book, Moses made that great call, who is on the Lord's side? And we saw tragically that the children of Israel panicked and made a terrible choice in their lives to try to make an image of God and and to serve that and to turn away from the very commandments that just a few days before that they said uh, we're going to we're going to we're going to obey this we're going to this is what we're going to follow in God the invisible God Jehovah is going to be our God and so they had sinned the Bible says they had sinned a great sin so much that God told Moses I'm just going to destroy them and I'll take you and I'll raise up a nation through you we saw the wonderful intercession of Moses how he pleaded with the Lord and said Lord, please, please uh, spare this people for your glory because you're so good and, and merciful. I think about Abraham. Remember how he pleaded even for Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, Lord, if there's even ten righteous in the city, will you not destroy it? And then we see how good God is because God said, okay, even if there's just ten righteous, then I, then I won't destroy it. But we know that there weren't ten righteous, especially when Lot... And his family uh, fled. But we should all have that same kind of heart of compassion to see others that are separated from God, others that have fallen into sin, and pray that God in His mercy would restore them and that, that they also could have a place by the side of the Lord. And that's what's so sweet to me in, in this chapter is in chapter 32... Moses said, who's on the Lord's side? And then God told Moses, uh, when he put him in the cleft of, of the rock, there's a place beside me that I want you to be. And uh, that's going to be the main thought that carries us through the message today. The title of the message today is A Place by God. A Place by God. If you really think about it, that's what we had in the Garden of Eden, Right? In an unsinning world, in an unsinning paradise, there God walked with them in the cool of the day and and spoke with them. And they had open, intimate fellowship with God. They had a place beside God. But because they listened to the deception and the lies of of the devil and followed the vanity of their own hearts, they lost that, our first parents, and plunged humanity uh, into sin and, and to corruption And so we see God, though, overruling uh, the effects of that through the redemption, through His great sovereign plan of election. And it unfolds throughout uh, the Bible and culminates in the work and person of the Lord Jesus Christ, our true Redeemer, our true Exodus is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that going forward, what because of what Christ has done, because of what redemption has accomplished, the, the final goal uh, and the f- final end for the redeemed, for the child of God, is to have a place beside the Lord again. Don't you rejoice in that? 
that Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you will be also. And so it's wonderful to think about that, that we had that in the beginning, that we lost it because of sin, but God's great plan of redemption restores us in this life to having a place beside God, but then ultimately uh, in heaven we'll dwell with Him for we'll be by His side forever, never to uh, depart again. And so just want you to just kind of rejoice in the full scope of that uh, that's going on in the Scriptures. So here we see a place by God. I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's, it's somewhat lengthy, but I think that, that we need it for all the context of what we're going to talk about today. So remember, they had just made the idol. Moses had come down and destroyed it. 3,000 people had perished by the sword. Many other had experienced a plague uh, from the Lord and were being punished directly for this uh, iniquity. And we begin chapter 33. And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. And when the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned. And no man did put on his, him his ornaments. For the Lord had said unto Moses, Say unto the children of Israel, Ye are a stiff-necked people. I will come up into the midst of thee in a moment and consume thee. Therefore now put off thy ornaments from thee, that I may know what to do unto thee. And the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by the Mount Oreb. And Moses took the tabernacle and pinched it without the camp afar off from the camp and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. Now listen to this. And it came to pass when Moses went out of the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood every man at, the t at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses and all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door and all the people rose up and worshiped every man in his tent door and this got to be one of the most amazing verses in the Bible and the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend and he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, 
And consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us up not hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. For thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me. And thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in the cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by, and I will take away my hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. May the Lord bless even the very reading of His Word, and there's no way that I can even hope to explain or exposit everything that is in these verses, but there's some things that I think that will really bless us if we dig in and uh, heed the word of the Lord today. Now, we know in this story of the people of Israel that Israel had already been redeemed by God. That took place when uh, he sent the death angel and the blood of the lamb had been shed and wiped over the doors of their, of their houses and death had passed over them and they had been taken out of Egypt and passed through the Red Sea and had entered into the wilderness with the Lord. That is the, the picture of shed blood redemption. These were a people that had been redeemed by God, but now what they needed was restoration. Now what the redeemed need was restoration with God. And that's so true in all of our lives, isn't it? That many of us know that we have been redeemed by the Lord but we can get ourselves into certain situations or into certain attitudes or make decisions that thwart and hinder all the blessings of redemption that should be in our lives. And we have to repent and we have to change and turn and come back to God. We have to quit being stiff-necked. And let me tell you all, I've entered to this study about stiff-necked in a way that I <laughs> I never have before with this pinched nerve. I, I really entered into uh, the, the verses here about being stiff-necked. I said, Lord, you, amen, Lord. I repent. Uh, we are, I am a stiff-necked uh, person. But it, it, it's really interesting when you look at what God was saying about them, that you're a redeemed people, and there is a direction that you should be going, and there's a focus that... You should have in your lives, but it's opposite of what it what it should be. 
And so he really challenges them here. Look, if you want to really be my people, if you really want my presence and, and my blessings, if you want a place by me, you need to be restored. And hallelujah, beloved, are you glad today that we serve a God of restoration? I know I am. And that's what the ministry of Jesus Christ was all about. He went about his life restoring sight to the blind, restoring the years that the locusts had eaten, restoring dignity to those who, who had none, restoring life even to those who had died. And I'm so glad for everyone that is in here today. I, I hope and pray that you're all under the redeeming blood of Christ. And if you are under the redeeming blood of Christ, then there is hope also always in your life. No matter how far away you go, no matter how bad you make a mess of things, there's a way back to the Lord's side. Because He has said so. Oh, that we might flee to Him. Now, C.H. Spurgeon uh, said this. He was talking about this. And he said, how could God ever use these people again? They had messed up so bad. And we think about, how could He ever use King David again? But He did. How could He ever use Manasseh again? King Manasseh, but He did. How could He ever use Peter again? But He did. It's because that the people who have been redeemed also have the power to be restored. And Spurgeon said, well, God uses people who fail because there aren't any other kind of people around <laughs> for Him to use. So don't you rejoice in that tonight, that God can use broken, fallen people and that He can restore them to a place by His side. So, let us dig into this today. Israel had been redeemed, but now they needed restoration. Who will find a place by God? Will I in my life, have I in my life found a place by God? Number one, the place by God is for people who desire to repent of sin. Because God's a holy God. God's a righteous God. Amen? And He demands of His people that they be a people who are seeking uh, to be holy. That they are seeking to be obedient to Him. That they are seeking to be sanctified in their life. And we know that because of our unredeemed flesh, we're all finding ourselves constantly in need of repentance. Everyone underneath the sound of my voice today should realize that they have a need of repentance in their life. There's probably something right now even particular that you can think about in your mind and in your heart and in your life that you really need to repent of. I want to challenge us all to do so so that we might be drawn closer to the side and to the heart of God. And we see that the people here, their hearts were really smote by what God said. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? That God here says, look, I'm going to release you. I'm going to release you. Go ahead and go into the promised land. That's pretty big of God. That's pretty nice of God. 
uh, because you know before he just said, you know what, I think I'm just gonna I'm just gonna destroy all of them. But Moses had interceded, and we know that that was all part of the plan of God. So God says, and it's kind of a, even a test here. He was testing their hearts to see if they were really sorrowful for what they'd done. Remember what he said? He said, you sinned a great sin. I want you to show some repentance before me. He said, I want you to take off these ornaments. I want you to humble yourselves before me so that I might know what to do to you. And so God had said uh, to Moses, look, go ahead and take him to the promised land. I'm going to send an angel. And that just kind of impressed me. When I read that, I would have thought he, God would have said, I'm going to send an army of angels. But isn't it amazing that God said, I'll just send one angel, and he'll be able to drive out all these people that are inhabiting the promised land. That's pretty impressive to me. You know, he said, I'm just going to send, God just needed to send one angel to take care of that business. And he said, and you can go into the land, and you can possess this land that flows with milk and honey, but, but I'm not going to go with you. And this says here, did you notice that it said here that, that uh, this grieved, that it says in verse 4, when the people heard these evil tidings, that they mourned. Now this, to me, shows that they really knew what was more important. You would have thought if they heard, hey, the land's going to be yours. I'm going to defeat your enemies. Just You can just go ahead and, and go up in there and enjoy the land that flow with milk and honey. You would just think, hey... That's great. Let's just go ahead and get that. That's everything that we wanted. But there was something in them that knew. But if we don't have God, if we don't have God's presence, then all these other things are just a wash. There, we won't, we, what we need is the Lord uh, the most. That's the most important thing. The other things don't really matter if I don't have the Lord. And so isn't it interesting in so many people's lives, the priorities that they set in their life, their job, their career, their money, their entertainment, uh, a plethora of other things. And God, so many times, in their relationship with God and their place by God is put on the back burner or put secondarily. We need to repent of that. Amen. We need to, to be like these people were and strip ourselves of our ornaments and stand by the door of our tent and worship God and say, Lord, the most important thing that I need in my life, in my soul, and that I want for others is a place by you. I need your presence and your glory in my life. So these, the place by God is going to be for a people who have a desire to repent of sin. And this has always been the message of redemption. It's where we all must begin is at a place of repentance. Go with me to the Gospel of Luke and hear these words of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I'm not going to turn to all of these, but I, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read this for just a second, but when I'm talking about this, this has always been the message of redemption. Just think back through the stories of the Gospel in the book of Acts. Uh, John the Baptist, right? When he came preaching... What was the message that he began with? You can look in Matthew 5, 2. You don't have to turn there. Just write it down. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus, when he began his ministry, Matthew 4, 17, Jesus preached, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We just went through uh, the sermon by Peter 
on the day of Pentecost when they were pricked in the heart and they realized that they had crucified the Lord's anointed, they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. So this has ever been the message of redemption is that we must repent. So here in Luke chapter 13, are you, are you there with me? Luke chapter 13, and it, and it looks like that I've totally written down the, uh, <laughs> the, wrong, the wrong scripture reference, but I know it, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just paraphrase it for you. So Jesus is talking about certain groups of people. There were this group of people that this tower, this tower of Siloam had fell on, and all these people had been crushed. And then there was another group of people that had, had just committed this, this terrible, heinous act. Uh, I, I forget exactly what they had done. But the message of Jesus was in the passage, and some of you can probably find it for me. He says twice, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And it isn't wonderful that we know that repentance is a gift from God. Amen? And it is actually the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And so Moses knew that a difference was required for God's redeemed people. Just go back to Exodus 33. He said, Lord, if, if we go in, and if we go in the way that we are, even if you drive out everything, even if we possess the land, there's not going to be really anything that distinguishes us as different from the people around us if you're not with us if we don't have you and so he says that in verse 16 and wherein shall it be known here that i and thy people have found grace in thy sight is it not that thou goest with us so what makes a difference in a church in this church or, or every other church that is around what what makes the difference is do you go into that assembly? Is God's glory there? Is His truth there? Do you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit? That's what makes the difference. I hope that's why you're here today. For here God's glory is declared to you. You see the glory of God here. You feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. The truth is preached in a, in a day in a culture where nobody preaches about repentance anymore or says that anything that anybody does how dare you say that I'm wrong? Here, thundering from the Word of God is what you need the most and what I need the most to be restored to a place by God is that we all repent and that we take repentance seriously and that we take sin seriously. So, Moses knew, look, look Lord, it's not all the, other, the rest of this. It doesn't matter unless, Lord, that you receive our repentance and you will draw near to us so that we can draw near to you. Isn't it wonderful that God invites that? He says, draw nigh to God. And he will what? He will draw nigh to you. And so I love this scene here that their hearts are, are really, they mourn because of this. Because I would have thought that these people would just say, hey, that's our ticket. Let, let's go. But there was more inside of them than that and so they did this what the lord commanded they did these 
things that God has said, I want you to strip yourselves of your ornaments. Now, these were the costly things. These were the precious things that they had gotten when they left Egypt, that they had spoiled the Egyptians. Well, remember how they spoiled the Egyptians and they had laden them with all of this jewelry, all these fine clothes. God says, that's not how, that's not who you are. That's not how I want you to identify yourself. That's not what I want to be important to you. So he said, lay off these ornaments, lay off these fine clothes, lay off and, and put aside all these outward ornaments. And isn't that eerily similar to what the New Testament says that the, the ornament that God loves is a meek and, and quiet spirit, uh, a humility, a repentant spirit in life that shows forth itself in action that I'm not my own. I can't just dress any way that I want. I can't just talk any way that I want. I can't just go to any movie that I feel like going to. I, I can't just treat the church any way that I want to. I can't just treat the men of God or, or God's word, but I'm bought with a price. I'm a, I'm a covenanted person. I, I'm someone that God has redeemed. And if, and if I love His presence in a place by my side, there's a certain way that I must strive, though imperfectly, to live and to be by His grace. It can only be done by His grace and through the power of His Spirit. But I love this, that they did this. They stripped themselves of these things. So what could these things be in our lives? That's, that's how we need to apply it. What are your ornaments? What are the things maybe that adorn your life or as you're living your life that, that you put before being by the Lord's side or that's more important than the presence of God in your life? Is it popularity with people? Is it little, uh, you remember uh, when Jacob was going to take his family uh, to meet with God at Bethel? He made them... Uh, wash and put on their best clothes and they took their earrings and they buried them under the oak in Shechem uh, another scene of this that to be with God there's a separation there's there's a difference there's we're acknowledging to God God you're unlike any other thing in my life I must come to you in the way that you want me to come I got to have the kind of heart and life that, that you love, that you desire, and help me to desire that and to love that and be willing to put off these, these ornaments, put aside. And, and that's when we see that real worship and devotion begin to occur. Didn't it touch your hearts what it said that this was, this was kind of a, a scary time for them that this isn't the tabernacle that Moses would build. That's going to be completed later, but... This was a kind of a tabernacle before the tabernacle. It was probably Moses' personal place and tent. And he took it and he took it outside of the camp. And, and that presence that had been in the midst of them was now just over that tabernacle. But it is, isn't it awesome that it said that the people who were really seeking the Lord, they went out to where, that, to where God was. And, and it says that every time that, that the cloud descended that it was so important to them they wanted to hear they wanted to know what God was going to do what God was going to say what was God going to restore them that they came out of their tents unadorned and they stayed focused 
on what was going on, where God was, where God's man was going to speak to them, and, and they worshiped. And so I think what it says that then in our lives, if we really want a place by the Lord, if we really want to feel the power of our redemption and being restored with the Lord, that's what, there's some things that have to be stay, laid aside. That we've got to decide really what is most important in my heart and in my life. And that's what I'm going to build my priorities around and, and try to be as consistent as I possibly can by God's grace in that. And so it's kind of awful. God says, it kind of reminds me, whenever we would get ready to go to Ohio when I was young, especially around Christmas time, Rebecca, you might be a little too little to remember this, but if Kathy June was here, she would remember. So it's not easy. We would go up to Ohio for about seven days. Well, you can imagine trying to get everything ready at your house to be gone for seven days, packing seven, uh, five, six, seven kids, adults, trying to get the van packed, and it never failed. Mama, <laughs> right about a, about a, a six hours before we go, she just said, y'all just go without me. <laughs> y'all just go without me. And, every, and everybody has thrown that trump card around. You know, if you're mad, you know, you get mad and y'all have something planned. Well, you just go by yourself. I'm just going to stay here. Well, it, this isn't God being uh, uh, pitiful like that. But God said, God was saying, look, y'all are acting so terrible. And if y'all, if I'm in the midst of y'all and y'all do things like the, the golden calf again, because I'm so holy, my holiness will break out on you and it will just destroy you. If this is the kitchen, he said, you, you have been so stiff necked, stiff necked. He, he, twice he says it. You're a stiff necked person. And oh, doesn't, doesn't that just kind of hit us all? Right there in the center, we can all, maybe right this moment in your life, you're not being stiff-necked, but you can look back in your life and just say, oh man, that's, that was exactly me. Yeah. And, and what the word stiff-necked actually means is that your head is turned on backwards. I always thought stiff-necked was kind of like me, that uh, even though I knew that I was going to get a bad whipping for something that I was going to do, I wanted to do it, and so I would just say the whipping's worth it and do it anyway and just take the whooping and not care. And that is a form. That's just obstinate. <laughs> that's, just, that's just a stubborn sinner right there, right? Yeah. But the stiff neck is more than that. God said, I, I drew you. I saved you out of Egypt. You cried to me, and you're bonded. You said, Lord, come save us this bondage, this being under Satan's yoke, being under sin's yoke, being feeling guilty all the time, it's more than I can bear. Save me. And God said, I heard the cries of my people and he sent them to deliver and he delivered them with a mighty hand and gave them the spoils of Egypt on their way. He says, now, it seems like all you can do is constantly be looking back. At what you were saved from. Oh, that hits home, doesn't it? This is why it begins at repentance. Ultimately, what this means is that they were not focused on the right thing or the right direction. These people were supposed to be focused on the promised land. What are you and I supposed to be? Let your, set your affections on things above, right? But it seems like so often so many of us are 
just uh, dominated by the things that are going on in our lives or in the world that are peripheral, peripheral to the things of the kingdom. We can't be stiff-necked. That's what we need to pray. Lord, get my head back on straight, right? Have you ever heard somebody say, man, you need to get your head back on straight. You're, you're not looking at the right things. You're not going in the right direction. That's what God was encouraging them to restore them. Look, look in the right direction. Who are you? What are you supposed to? You're supposed to be following the presence of God. You're supposed to be following the messages from God's man. You're supposed to be headed toward uh, the promised land, not always looking back to Egypt, listening to the complainers, the backbiters, the cynics, the naysayers. No. Not listening and following them. Oh, let's make our own God. No, how about worship and be beside the true and living God? Should y'all see that? The ornaments had to be removed. The stick neck, the stick neckedness had to, had to be changed, had to be repented of. We had to get their heads on straight. Now, secondly, a place by God is for people who desire friendship with God. This is amazing, isn't it? This is amazing that we can be called the friends of God. And here, and where I get that from is it says that Moses, when God visited him there in his tent in the tabernacle of the congregation that was outside the camp, it said that he spoke with them like a friend, right? And we know it's so beautiful when we think about our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. One of his titles, hallelujah, is the friend of of sinners do you desire friendship with god do you want to repent of sin number one yes but do you desire friendship with god i love what what jesus said here that he was more than just a master to them he was more than than just their lord oh how wonderful that jesus christ is my friend a friend that I don't deserve. A friendship that has often been so one-sided. But yet he is a friend. Like a brother that's born for adversity. He's a friend that never fails. He's a friend even that sticks closer than a brother. Oh. One that is very present help. In the time of our trouble. Oh I love what Jesus said in John 15. Beginning in verse 13. Greater love. Hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends. Hallelujah. And then he adds, if you do whatsoever I command you. That's, that is the evidence that you really want friendship with God. Is that you want to do things that your friend loves, that's pleasing to your friend. You want to communicate with your friend. You want to spend fellowship and time with your friend. You want to be where your friend is. Where your friend is. If you do whatsoever I command you. I was watching Sean Hannity the other day. You know, because this isn't like Jesus is our buddy. Or that, well, yeah, I hang out with Jesus, and, uh, but Jesus kind of lets me be however that I want to be. He doesn't demand that I, I change my language. He doesn't, uh, you know, ask me to uh, try to uh, put away 
uh, sinful things. That's kind of what how the world uh, represents Jesus. They kind of take the just as I am and uh, kind of uh, blow it out of proportion, right? Kind of give a warped view of it. So anyway, I'm watching Sean Hannity. I think Brother Andy already knows what I'm going Kid Rock was old Sean, Sean Hannity. And I hope a lot of you don't know who Kid Rock is. And, you know, it's kind of crazy about Kid Rock because he's conservative about some things that I really appreciate. But he was on Sean Hannity, and my mouth and my jaw just about dropped open because Kid Rock said, well, he said, I'm a God-fearing Christian man. And I thought, well, then I'm Elvis Presley. <laughs> you know, it's not that I'm trying to judge him, but have you ever watched him the way that he presents himself, the lyrics of the songs that he sings, the attitudes that he has is is that what's representative of a friend of Jesus? Is that what's representative of a God-fearing Christian man? Is the lifestyle and actions and fruit of one such as that? But that's the day that we've come to, y'all. The, the standard for Christianity, for being a, a Christian, God-fearing man, is Kid Rock. Kid Rock. I think not. I think, I think not. Beloved, it's hallelujah, yes, that Jesus is the friend of sinners. But that does never mean that Jesus stops hating sin. We think about the woman even caught in adultery. And he made her accusers go away. And yes, he does say to her, I don't accuse you either. But he didn't say, just keep living, just keep doing you, girl. No, no. He said, go thy way and sin no more. Change your life. Repent. Yes. Yes. I'm the friend of sinners. Hallelujah. He's the friend of the. The Bible says, even says in James that if we're friends with the world, then we're the enemies of God. You can't serve two masters. So, we see in our text what it really means to be the friend of God, like, like Moses. He, he communicates with his friends. We, we see that, that the friends of Christ are, are those that speak with Him often. They, they go to be with Him where He is. They want to be and stay and dwell among His people where He works. They want to work and dwell with Him. And ultimately, they want to be with Him always in an unfettered way. Unseparated by time and space as we are now, beloved. But never forget that even though we are His friends and He's the friend of sinners, He has never stopped hating friends, hating sin, even of His friends. But here we find that it, it takes a getting apart. It takes a separation from the world. It, it takes a communicating with God and how beautiful that that is. Moses, the friend of God, a man that God spoke to like a friend, fate, like a friend does face to face. And then we see it in Joshua too because it says that, that Moses, you know, he had to go out of that tabernacle 
uh, to go and speak to the people to tell them what God has said. But don't you love how it says that Joshua just wanted to stay right there. Joshua just wanted to abide in the tabernacle. And, and that are, those are the friends of Christ. Those, those who love the groom also love, love the bridegroom, also love the bride. They love to dwell among the, the people of God. And don't you love here, it says in, in this conversation, uh, you know, you know your friends' names, right? <laughs> the names of your friends, you know a stranger's name you don't know. But the names of your friends you know. And, and Moses, when he's, when he's pleading for Israel, when he's pleading, he said, God, you said that I'm your friend. God, you, you've told me your name. And God, you've said that you know my name. And it's so precious when you read through the gospel, Jesus doing this, you know, like when he calls Mary by her name, when he calls Lazarus by his name, and oh, how sweet it is, how near we are to God when we, by spirit, hear him call our name. He calls us by his name. He he, they find grace. Moses said, Lord, I, I know I'm your friend because I found grace in your sight. And, and he knows how to plead for more grace, uh, too, and, and how, how to seek for. Look for that. Look at that in verse 13. Isn't that beautiful? He says, and this, this is why it tells us it's okay to ask for grace in our lives. Uh, verse 13 of our text. Now, therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, what a great thing to ask. A friend, especially a friend that is God. Show me now thy way. Isn't that interesting? Most of the times we're asking for God to sign up for our way. Lord, just put a rubber stamp on what Nathan likes, what Nathan wants, what Nathan wants to do on Nathan's agenda. Instead, I should be praying, Lord, help me die to what Nathan thinks that he wants and make what Nathan thinks he wants, what you want. Show me, show me thy way. But he says that I may know thee. Isn't that beautiful? That I may know thee. That I may find grace in thy sight. So he said, God, you've been gracious to me. But show me your way and let me know you more. And let me even experience and have more of your grace in my life. Oh, that's beautiful. A place by God. People who are serious about being repentant from sin. This is a repentance is something that we're all in need of, that it's not just something that is just a one time event. Yes, there is that initial repentance where we repent of our of our sinful life and way and repent of who we are uh, without Christ. And that is that is the beginning of us being sanctified before God in an experiential way. But repentance I believe I'll have to repent, probably, probably repent of something even the day I die. But hallelujah, it is the gift of God to those who want to be near by Him. Now, thirdly, let me move along. Thirdly, a place by God is for people who cannot live without His presence. People that cannot live without His presence. So this is the big question. This is the million, million dollar question. Do you really want God or do you just want His benefits? 
Do you really want God himself or do you just want his benefits? I'm glad, aren't you, Brother Andy, that at this moment that the people of God said, Lord, they didn't just grab up their stuff and say, hey, let's go. We got the promised land. We've got an angel to fight our battles. Man, you know, who cares if God's with us or not? We're getting everything that we want. Oh, be careful. Oh, be careful because all those things without God will just become vanity, vexation of the Spirit in the life. Do I want Him? Do I want His presence in my life? I love this expression in Psalm 73. Just to reiterate this, and, and may this be our prayer as well. Psalm 73, beginning in verse 24. Psalm 73, 24. What a, what a great prayer, prayer. What great statements here. Beginning in verse 24. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. That's a lot of what is kind of taking place. Moses is saying, Lord, I need your presence. I need you to show me the way. Lord, I want you to show me your glory, not Moses' glory, not Nathan's glory. You're never going to be able to glorify God in yourself at the same time. It doesn't work. Whom? Have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart fails, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are afar from thee shall perish. Thou, shalt, thou hast destroyed all them that go a whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. For Moses, beloved, it was all a wash without the nearness of Yahweh. I love that movie, Facing the Giants. Anybody seen Facing the Giants? Yeah. And remember, the woman wants to have a baby so bad. And she's so hopeful this time and, and she goes and they, they tell her, you know, you're, you're not pregnant. You're probably not going to be able to get pregnant. And she goes out to her car or her five self and she just falls down. And she said, God, it doesn't matter. If you choose to give me a baby, I'll worship you anyway. But if you don't, I love you and I know you love me. Right? And then it was beautiful in the film, you know, they had mixed up her reports with somebody else. But still like Hannah in the Old Testament, that heart, that spirit was there. An angel wasn't enough. Now, if God promised me an angel uh, just to help me in everything that I wanted to accomplish, that would be a pretty big deal. An angel wasn't enough. Victory wasn't enough. The promised land was not even enough. But they said, God, we've got to have you. Moses said, Lord, if you aren't going to go up with us, then don't even take us up. Just, we would rather live in the wilderness and have you than be in the promised land without you. Hallelujah. What greater blessing could a person have in their life, in their soul, in this world or in the world to come, 
than to have a place by his side. And so we see that back in verse 21 again. Back in 21 of Exodus 30, 21, chapter 33. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me. That's just beautiful to me. That God has made room for us. That God is willing to restore us and allow us a place beside Him. I love it how He said, I'm going to stand you on a rock. I'm going to put you on a rock. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. And I'm going to cover you with my hand. All these beautiful expressions and pictures of the work and ministry and person of the Lord Jesus Christ and the true redemption and restoration of the people of God in their lives. Moses said, Who wants to be on the Lord's side? Here God Himself says, Here is a place beside me. Oh, that we might long for that. May we be a people who cannot live without His presence in our lives personally, in our church as a whole. May we beg God for that. Then lastly, lastly, a place beside the Lord is for people who truly desire His glory. Is for a people who truly desire His glory. In this, this is this is awesome that Moses here was in this most unique of places where he found himself asking for things from God and God saying, "You know what? I'm going to do it. I'll go with you." Uh, and and here, you know. And God is this way. Remember, and the scriptures are so powerful. God says, if you ask anything in my name, I'll give it to you. It, like when he came to Solomon, when he was really young and said, okay, I'm going to help you out. You're going to be my king. What do you want from me? Do you want long life? Do you want riches? And Solomon, so young, asked for wisdom. And, and God granted him everything else, right? And so Moses here Think about all the things that had happened in Moses' life. So many crazy things in, in his age here. And here, this moment, he could have probably asked God for anything. Well, just think about that right now, Brother Robert. If you were in that moment, you could just ask God for anything. Would you ask him what Moses asked? If you were in your right mind, you would. If, you were, if we were in our right minds... We would, Moses was in a good place, wasn't he? Because what better could have Moses asked for? He said, Lord, I want you to show me your glory. Now, this is amazing coming from Moses, right? Because think of what the things that Moses has seen already. A burning bush. God, that didn't, that didn't uh, what consume my fire that God spoke to him, uh, turned his rod that he walked around with for years and years uh, to a serpent that could eat up. Uh, other serpents and then turn back into a rod that he could stretch out his hand and through the power of God part the Red Sea he could strike water from a uh, he could strike a rock and bring out waters he could cure bitter waters on and on what did this man not seen of God and yet he knew in God that there was more and more and more and so he said Lord can I see your glory? 
God said, you know what? I'm going to honor that request. Now, he said, you, there's certain things that you can't see because it, it would just kill you. Moses was just a mortal man, right? But God said, I'm going to make it so that you can still live and, and experience both the impression and the perception of my glory as I pass by you. And that's what we're experiencing in the church and in our life with God. We're all experiencing that. But there's something even far greater to come that we're going to know. Because grace is just glory begun. And glory is grace completed in our lives. So I love this in Psalm 115. He said, God, I just want to see your glory. You know, I don't know if we would ask for it, but if we were in our right mind, we would because God's glory is what is for our most good. It's what's for our most good if we were in our right minds. But I just love this in Psalm 115. Could you turn there as we begin to close? You know, because, and Brother Andy, Brother Jeff, Mike can give some better light on this. I, I just don't have the insight. I don't know what Moses saw. I'm just going to be honest with y'all. I don't know what he saw. The Bible doesn't say what he saw. I, I have some speculations and ideas, but I know that it was glorious. I, I know what the effects of it were, that when Moses came down off that mount, the people could not even look at him because he, he shone so much with the radiance of the glory of God. Remember, they had to veil him so that they couldn't, See him here in Psalm 115. All, all we ought to take this as, as a, a great uh, motto for our lives. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory. For thy mercy, for thy true sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? For our God is in the heavens. And listen to this statement. And let this thrill your heart. For this is a part of the glory of God and it is a part of what He reveals to Moses and those that really desire a place by His side. He hath done whatsoever He pleased. This that God does and what Moses experienced is one of the greatest statements of the revelation of God's sovereignty of His glory that is recorded in sacred writ. He starts off, my goodness. I'm going to make my goodness to pass by you. I'm going to show, I'm going to let you see this mercy. I'm going to, I'm going to let you see this goodness, grace and mercy. This is the glory of God that we're so interested in and we see that God qualifies it, that it's sovereign grace. It's sovereign mercy. It's sovereign goodness. He says, because I'll, I'm going to do it and give it to whoever I will. Just like Psalm 115 said, the Lord hath done whatsoever He pleased. So just a side note, if God wanted to save every single member of the human race through the redemption that is in Christ, God would have done that because it pleased Him to do it. But it did not please Him to save all men. But the elect family of God that were given 
to him before the world began. John 17, 1. You've given me power over all flesh that I should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given to me. God is in the heavens. Our God in His glory is to believe and know that He's a sovereign God. And if you know Him in that way, you know Him in a special way that so many, even Christian people on the earth don't know. And you should praise God for it. Amen. What Moses actually saw, we will never know. But we know its effects. And we know what God has promised that we will see. For the Bible says that we shall see Him as He is. Is that enough for you? I'm going to say that's better than what Moses saw. <laughs> face to face with the glorified, risen, triumphant, victorious King of the universe. Oh, that's enough for me. I say my soul will be satisfied with one glimpse of Him. God, beloved, I rejoice to tell you today, repentant one, weeping one, one that is willing to put aside ornaments and quit being so stiff-necked, one who, who can't live without His presence, one who wants to live and see His glory. I've got great news for you today, sinners. That God has carved out a place for us in Christ. Hallelujah. Yes. He has put us in the cleft of the rock. He has put us on solid ground. And He's passing us by in our lives with His glory. And we're being able to experience both the impression and the perceptions of it in His presence. But it's but a shadow of what is to come, beloved. And I rejoice to lay that hope before you when you and I stand in His presence, covered in His righteousness. No sun, no moon, no, no stars, but just His glory. The pure heavenly light that fills our glorified face. May the Lord bless you and keep you as our prayer.